The first time I ever went to church after I began following Christ, it's my first church service. I went to a small, sort of legalistic house church of about 30 people. And what they did, don't ask me how I got there, it's a long story, but what they did was they sat in this living room with the curtains drawn and nobody would say anything. Until finally one guy spoke up and he said, oh, I am just so disgusted with myself. I'm just disgusting. And I thought, oh, okay, this could be interesting. And then he said, I, I listened to rock and roll music this week. And everyone gasped in horror. And the pastor then lectured us for a half hour on what a serious sin this was to listen to rock and roll music. And as a rock and roll music fan, I knew that me and this church, it was like Romeo and Juliet. It was doomed. It wasn't going to work out. And I left that experience thinking, so what is the point of church? Is it just to keep me from listening to the radio? Is that what it is? And I think there's a great many people out there who have a similar perception that the church's job is to sort of stamp out fun wherever we might find it. And that's why we're doing this 11-week series on what the church is supposed to be, to clear up those misconceptions. And the passage that Dana just read gives us a very different, very beautiful image of what we, the church, are supposed to be. The Apostle Paul says to us now, you are the body of Christ. It's a great image, the body of Christ. And that tells me a couple of things about what we, the church, are supposed to be. And the first is this, it tells me that church is necessary for our spiritual survival. Just like the hand or the, the foot can't say to the rest of the body, I don't need you, because without the body, the hand will die. So Christians can't have any spiritual growth in life if they are separated from Christian community, which is the church. You know, as I, I've said before in this series, it is so fashionable these days to hear things like, well, I don't need church. I can worship God on my own in the woods. Well, that's true, you can, but you won't grow. And you won't become a full, mature Christian without Christian community. Part of the church's job is to help us become more like Jesus, less sinful, more loving people. And that takes an entire body of believers to help us do that. We need Christian community to survive. Which brings me to my second point. If we are the body of Christ, that means that every member has a vital role to play. Everyone. This passage talks about how every part of the body is, is vital and that while some parts are more visible, every part is essential. A body without a hand or a foot or an eye is a body that doesn't function as well as it otherwise could. And it's the same in the church. Every single person is necessary. And I just want to ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that you are absolutely vital, not only to this church, but to God's mission in the world? Or, or do you come here and do you think, ah, oh, this is such a big church, they don't need me. Besides, I don't have anything to offer, I, you know, I don't have any gifts, I don't, you know. A friend of mine puts this kind of humorously, she says, you know, in the body of Christ, I'm the appendix. <laughs> Nobody knows my function or pays any attention to me, but occasionally I flare up and have to be removed. Is that how you feel? 
Do you come in and you think, I don't belong, I don't have anything to offer, I don't have any gifts? Or, or maybe that's how you feel about other people. You know, do you occasionally look at others and say, there's an appendix. <laughs> this passage says there's no such thing. Everybody is vital, whether we're visible or not. In the college group I led, there was a student who was very quiet, very shy, sort of on the margins of the group. But he was a dedicated servant, and on every retreat, he'd be the one to make the meals. And he, was, he wasn't the most visible member of the community at all, but, but when it came time for dinner, and we realized that out of, out of hundreds of college students, we actually had one who would cook. That was a miracle. And as everyone was sort of busy chomping down their spaghetti and, and having fellowship over a meal, he went completely unnoticed. But if he hadn't have been there, no meal, no fellowship, his gift of silent service was vital in order for the community to happen. And whatever gift you have is vital here and beyond these walls to King County. You know, as a preacher, I'm up front a lot. It's sort of the glamour job of the church. But the most important part of my body for preaching isn't just my voice or my mind, it's actually my big toes. Because without them, I'd lose my balance and fall over, which is distracting in a sermon. <laughs> Everybody has a role. And in contrast to our culture that says some people are more important because they're rich or they're famous or they're good at sports or whatever, in the body of Christ, no one person or role is more important than another. And I think sometimes we miss our, 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 our role in the church or in ministry because we sort of, we think, well, I don't have one of the flashy gifts. You know, I can't, I can't preach or I can't sing or, you know, I can't do one of the cool things. I want, I want a cool gift, you know? But, but, but God has given us all various kinds of gifts. And we can't all have the same one. That would be like if the whole body were an eye. Kind of an absurd image that Paul uses in that scripture. He just gets this picture of this giant eye kind of rolling back and forth. It's grotesque. And we make the church grotesque if we all sort of want the same, same gifts. Everyone has different gifts. Not, no one gift is more important than another. Right before I came here, my job in California was changed from college pastor to teaching pastor. And that happened at the same time that another pastor in the church was made executive pastor. And people, after that happened, people kept coming up to me and saying, aren't you mad? Don't you feel ripped off? And I go, why? I got a promotion. And then I realized that in Silicon Valley, the word executive sounds more important than teacher. And so everyone thought that I got the short end of the stick and I kept saying, no, no, you know, one job's not more important than the other and we're both just doing what God has called us to do and what we're gifted to do. Everybody is necessary. And the roles each of us play are based on call and what we're gifted to do and not on anything else. For instance, you didn't call me here to be your director of music. Why? Because you wanted the church to survive. You've heard me sing. You know that would have been a bad idea. That's not my gift. But I have others. And so do you. And all of us are necessary for the church to move forward. My preaching means nothing without behind-the-scenes strategists to figure out how to put good ideas into practice. And a church without people to serve the neighborhoods or the sick 
or be witnesses in our offices. That is a church that can't survive. In order to make this service happen, there are literally hundreds of volunteers making it happen. Choir members, people running the sound, ushers, people who set things up. Do you know that at every service, there's a group of people who prays for this service while the service is going on? Now, you don't see all of those people, but without them, none of this could happen, and I couldn't preach. If you are hearing my voice this morning, you are an indispensable part, not only of this church, but of God's mission to the world. Now, God will get his thing done with or without you. He's sovereign, but it will go a lot better with you, and it'll be a lot more fun if you join us. You're vital. A friend of mine tells a story of a church that he was part of in Boston. It was very, very formal church. Sort of ushers wore gloves and hats. Very formal, sort of northern European in atmosphere. And for reasons that nobody could figure out, a large group of rebellious college students started coming to this church, which upset some of the longtime members because they were kind of irreverent and, and grungy looking. The students, not the members. And one day, one of these members yelled at the pastor, and she said, Pastor, don't you see what these hippies are doing to our church? They're wrecking it. And the pastor said, well, maybe you should pray for them. So she did. And out of that, she got an idea, and she formed a prayer group composed of some of her friends from the women's sewing circle and these rebellious college students. And they'd get together every week to pray. The grandmas and the hippies. And this amazing thing happened. The church started to grow. More young rebels started to come. More older people started to come too. And the church began a new ministry to the urban neighborhood around it. And the rebels brought new life and new energy. And the older people brought maturity and mentoring and common sense. And the church thrived. <laughs> because everybody played a role and everybody's gifts were used in the body of Christ Everybody is vital to fulfill the church's mission to the world. Which brings me to my last point. What is the church's mission to the world? Well, if we are the body of Christ, that would imply that we are called to be the literal, physical presence of Jesus in the world. I don't think Paul means this statement as a metaphor. I think he means it literally. Dead literally. We are the arms, the legs, the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus in the world. One of the questions I have about Christianity is, why did Jesus leave? <clears throat> I believe in the resurrection. That's a historical fact. But, but why did he leave? Why didn't he stick around? And, and as I've said before, as a preacher, that would have made my job way easier. Right? Every time I had to preach, I could just have Jesus preach. No one's going to argue with his sermons, right? It would have been way easier if he stuck around. But according to the New Testament, he did. You see, what this passage says is that if we have a relationship with Jesus, his spirit lives inside of us. And we who know him become his body. And not just this church, but as we celebrate today in worldwide communion, his church all around the world becomes his body. One of our members in this church here is, is currently working with some people in the inner city to help turn an old store into a neighborhood community center. That's Jesus touching that neighborhood. And that's exactly what we're striving to become in our Jubilee year in 2005. 
the, the literal hands and feet and voice of Jesus to King County and beyond. I have a friend down in California who found out about, about a family who'd come from Denver to Stanford Hospital because their baby had a heart defect that required multiple surgeries to correct it. And they were staying in a hotel room racking up all kinds of bills until my friend found out about it and opened up his home to them. And that gave this family a place to come and rest and eat normal meals and, and have some Christian community. That was Jesus touching that family. If we follow him, he lives in us. And what that means is that when we care for people, that is Jesus touching those people's lives. We are the literal, physical body of Christ touching people who need it in our offices, in our neighborhoods, in the world. And you have a role. So how do you figure out what that role is? Three quick things. To figure out what your place is, what your role is, the first thing is get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. You know, we can do a lot of good deeds without Jesus, but we cannot be his presence to people unless we know him. Get to know Jesus through prayer, scripture, worship, and he'll show you what your role is. Second, discover the gifts that God has given you. And you discover those through prayer, through asking other people, through noticing where you have an effect, maybe taking a gifts discovery course. Discover your gifts. And third, discover your passions. Frederick Beekner says that our call in life is where our joy intersects with the world's deep need. It's where our joy meets the world's deep need. Now, he goes on to say that if your joy is writing deodorant commercials, you may have missed it. That might not be the world's deep need. That could be argued, I suppose, but... He also says, though, that if you're a doctor in a leper colony and you hate it, you found the world's need, but not your joy. It's at the intersection of the world's deep need and our deep joy. Find that intersection, discover your gifts, get to know Jesus, and when we do, we'll have abundant life. The annual meeting, I told a story about a businessman I know of whose faith had become dry and dull and sort of flat, so he went to India on a short-term mission trip. And when he was there, he went to a hospital and he saw an old man lying on a mat covered with sores and disease. And he thought to himself, if I have to touch him, I'll surely die. And right as he thought that, he spilled some porridge on this old man, some porridge that he was carrying. And he knew that he was going to have to touch him to, to wipe the porridge off. So as he reached down and when he touched this dying man, he, he suddenly felt this energy go through his hands. And the man woke up and started talking to him. And they started talking back and forth, even though they spoke different languages. And pretty soon they were laughing and talking and sharing jokes and patting each other, even though they couldn't understand the word, a word the other person was saying. And the businessman had fun. A few days later he came back and, and by now... This man was almost dead. So before he left, the businessman knelt down and he whispered in this old man's ear and he said, Old man, I owe you my life, for you have taught me how to hunger and thirst for joy again. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. We get to be the physical bodies through which Jesus touches the world and in the process, he touches us and everybody has a part to play. Whether you're a wealthy business person bringing comfort to a dying man or a dying man teaching a wealthy business person how to have joy. Everyone has a role. 
Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is such good news because it gives our lives eternal significance. You know, the, the world tells us that, that our role in life is to get a good education so that we can get a good job somewhere making widgets of some kind. And if you're good at making widgets, you get a promotion and you get to manage other people who make widgets and you get to sit in meetings about how, how to design a better widget or, or how to market widgets to more people and how to get two people to buy two widgets instead of one widget. And you do that for 40 years and they, you retire and they throw you a party and give you a gold widget at the end. <laughs> and at the end of that, it is easy to wonder, did I matter? Did I do anything that matters? Now, I just want to say there's nothing wrong with the jobs we do. Those are good jobs. And those are the places that God has put us in to be his hands and feet in our offices and our neighborhoods and communities. So what we do every day matters because that's where God has called us to be his presence. But those jobs don't define us. They aren't who we are. They aren't who the Bible says that we are. I'm not going to buy that lie and, and I don't want you to buy it either. You see, I am not a pastor. You are not a widget maker. You are not a boss. You are not an employee. You are not a manager. You are not a teacher. You are not a parent. You are not a spouse. You are not a customer. You are not a consumer. You, you are the body of Christ. And everyone who knows Jesus belongs to that body. And we have a high and holy task to be his hands and his feet and his voice in our offices and our neighborhoods and in a, in a hurting world. And in his kingdom, there are no bench sitters. Everyone has a gift. Everyone plays a role. Everyone has a part. What's yours? Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us into a community to be your hands and feet to each other and, and to the world around us. And Lord, we ask that you would show us how we as a community can employ our talents and our lives for you so that we can be your body, your touch to the people we meet every day. Do this, Lord, and we'll be grateful. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.